and welcome to another episode of the Spur to 2016 podcast. It's a new campaign. It's a new set of games. Are you ready to have your heart broken again? Uh, I know I certainly am. And to discuss this game, uh, I have with me Peter Baker. Pete, how are we? Hi there, Andy. I'm good, thanks. Excited for the upcoming games. Good stuff. And we also have um, Italian Stallion and somewhat of a Serie A connoisseur, Dave Dunning. Dave, how's things? I wouldn't go for, uh, that far on either of those counts, but yes, um, I'm not too bad, thanks. Looking forward to having my heart ripped out and thrown on the Midgard Park pitch again after another few matches. Excellent. What what is what is your connection to at least your mum's Italian, isn't that right? What's what's the my kind mom, of my mum's side's Italian. What's what's the name? That Martelli. You, you didn't get oh Martelli. You could have been called Dave Martelli. Yeah. Instead you're called Dave Dunning. That must I know. Sting. <laughs> it's, it's 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 been it's been a constant a constant source of regret over the over my lifetime yeah excellent stuff my name's andy bell by the way i don't think i said that my mom always tells me and i forget to say that so there you go that's my name um and we're gonna get stuck in we're gonna go straight away because we've loads to get through and um, two parts of the podcast first part we're going to talk uh, about italy mainly and how we stop them second half we'll talk about us we'll have a quiz in the middle as well um, and Pete, I'll start with you. You look at these three games, uh, Italy away Thursday, USA in a friendly on Sunday in Belfast, uh, and then Bulgaria in uh, in Belfast on the Wednesday night. Um, you look at it and you think you'd probably took two defeats if you were guaranteed that those three points against Bulgaria, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I think when you look at the three games, they couldn't be more contrasting. Um, so the Italy game away, it's probably the hardest game in the group. If we manage to get any sort of result there, that would be fantastic. If we lose, shrug your shoulders and you move on. Um, I mean, if I'm being brutally honest about the USA game, I don't really care. Just play the second string team, make sure everyone gets out unscathed. It does give a chance for guys who didn't make the squad against Italy to sort of prove themselves and try and get to the, get into the squad against Bulgaria. And then the Bulgaria game is a must win. You know, if we have any dreams of qualifying, we have to win it. Um, so I'll be a lot more nervous for that uh, than the Italy game coming up anyway. Yeah, absolutely is. Must win that one, Dave. We're not going to focus too much on that one. We are going to focus uh, on the Italian job, as I think every single newspaper up and down the country will be calling it. Um, we, oh, uh, I, I hope that's the headline <laughs> on Friday morning. I really do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. If if we're lucky, um, I feel like that headline could cover any result, really. Um, but it's it's. I actually read this week. Uh, I didn't know this, but this group actually comes down to goal difference on like the head to head in the uh, as we had in the Euros. So you know, we were thinking that the Euros obviously about a tough group, Germany and Holland. But we were thinking if one of those two teams kind of cleans up, uh, then we do have a a kind of two legged winner takes all scenario and. We pretty much nearly had that with Holland in the end, and I thought we were going to have that with Switzerland, but it's 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 goal difference, which I think goes against us a little bit. And you look at this Italy game, and you think maybe one or two nil wouldn't actually be the worst result. No, it it absolutely wouldn't be the worst result. I think it it's interesting. I think it's a good game just to get out of the way. Just get it out of the way. Your hardest game of the group. Put it in the bin and take stock and look where you're going from there. Um, I think what it also will start to do is give other teams kind of a target for let's maybe just not get beat by that much. Um, because this Italy team have handled a couple of thrashings recently. Um, and, you know, if you, if you get hammered twice by Italy, your goal difference is pretty much going to go out the window. So, uh, yeah, if we can keep the score low, um, come away with, you know, as close to a clean sheet as we can possibly manage, that would be great. Uh, although it's it's not uh, defensively, um, I think we've probably gone backwards in the last the last six months or so. Um, whereas, you know, you you always used to be confident that even if we weren't going to win, we were never going to get hammered. I don't quite have that feeling with the side at the minute. Yeah, I think ever since Gareth McCauley was retired and, and people kind of talk about Craig Cathcart as as basically like just coming in to replace him because they're two Premier League centre halves. But in reality, I think Cathcart's quite a distance off the player McCauley was for us. And and Pete, talking about the kind of kind of goal difference idea you're looking at, and I, I did a bit of research because um, I was obviously 
as as Dave mentions there, Italy are a fantastic side. They've they've got even better recently, as we'll come on to talk about. But Switzerland are a very efficient side as well. You just always see them. You always see them at major tournaments. You always see them frauding their way to the round of 16, getting one-all draws here and there. The, the, the draw with Brazil in the World Cup a couple of years ago. You're just not surprised when they get these results. And you always, you never want to draw them. They were the top seeds in the in the pot two of the group. But I was having a look and goal difference over the last three qualifying campaigns. Uh, Euro 2016, we had a goal difference of eight. They had a goal difference of 16. Uh, World Cup 2018, we were plus 11. They were plus 16 again. Uh, Euro 2020, we were minus four. They were plus 13. Obviously, there's extenuating circumstances with the fact that we had Holland and uh, and Germany. But, you know, even goals scored. We scored nine. They scored 19 in that group. Because they bore the life out of us all the time at these major tournaments, we think that they're they're just defensive. But, you know, they've got a 6-0 hammer of Lithuania in them, whereas we just don't really. Um, and that's a worry for me. And I look at it and I think, if we're to if we're to finish above Switzerland somehow, um, it's not just going to be a case of, of of getting two draws against them or maybe beating them at Windsor and, and and losing the game in Basel. We probably need a point somewhere else. We probably do need a point against Italy or maybe even them to 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 to, to drop points against Bulgaria in this first game. Um, how can you see it playing see it playing out? Do you think there's any chance that that we can fraud something against Switzerland or or do you reckon this one's just kind of blood the youth and sort of pick it up again from the, the next Nations League when we're in League C and we have a chance to qualify for the Euros? Uh, where, are you, where do you kind of stand in the whole thing? Um, I'm, I'm forever an optimist with Northern Ireland, um, as most people are going into the new campaign. I'm sure that could be crushed within a week. Apart from our WhatsApp group, I tell you what, you've been very quiet in that, but uh, yeah, there's been no optimism in there. <laughs> I... <laughs> I don't like the negativity trying to get me down. Um, no, I need shot for a year. Yeah, I think uh, obviously playing Switzerland and those qualifiers. I think we, you know, we matched them however many years ago that was. Um, I think you're right in the sense that we'll need to get a at least a point uh, against Italy if we're to qualify because those goal difference stats don't lie, like you said. Switzerland of firepower that we simply don't have. They could beat Bulgaria by four or five. The same with Lithuania. If we were to beat those teams, it'll probably be by one nil or squeaking a two-one win. Um, I, you know, the best we can hope for is to be competitive in as many games as we can. And I think, in terms of blooding the youth, I think our club got that right in the last campaign. You know, we saw the emergence of players like. Uh, Ballard and McCann I did get a taste of international football and I think they'll be a lot more prepared coming into this campaign so I think he's had his chance of blooding some of the youth um, hopefully they're a bit more experienced and uh, they put that to good use this campaign yeah, the Nations League definitely definitely has been a huge benefit to us in the sense that well, certainly not in terms of results, but in the sense that we uh, you know we have had the chance to give those players international experience. And you look at as we'll come on to talk about you know the likes of, of Dan Ballard versus Kieran Brown, for example, who's playing in the uh, in the league above. But those four or five games that Dan Ballard has had for Northern Ireland, albeit um, in the Nations League, will stand him in good stead. And I think that international experience can almost account for a, a division indifference. And and Dave. Come on, coming on to talk about Italy. I know you're a. I know I was obviously joking in the start of the podcast, but I know you're a big fan of your Italian football and Mancini's Italy. They're they're breaking all sorts of records. You know, they're they're keeping clean sheets at the rate you'd expect from an Italian national side, and um, but they're also scoring goals at a rate greater than what you'd expect from a national side. And you know, there'd be there'd be Northern Ireland fans kind of thinking who, who maybe don't watch European leagues and and don't really follow international football other than ourselves and. You know, there's a stereotype about Italian football from the days of Herrera and Saki, you know, the Catanaccio, everyone behind the ball. And to an extent, there always will be uh, a part to which culture and history plays into a nation's strengths and weaknesses. But they do look like a pretty terrifying prospect, unbeaten in 22. Um, you know, won all 10 of the Euro qualifiers. I think that's the first time they've ever done that in a qualification campaign. Scored 37, only conceded four in 10 games. And albeit it was quite an easy group for them, I think Finland were their second seeds. You still have to kind of go out and do it. And it, they do seem so impressive. And you'd probably be a brave man to bet against them winning the Euros this summer. Yeah, they're 
they're a young, exciting side. Mancini has managed to kind of rip up what you would call the rule book of having those staple experienced guys in there and throwing in the lads that he's still doing occasionally that's just in form, um, regardless of age or anything like that. But um, he's given a lot of players debuts, 32 debutants um, in the few years, a couple of years that he's been there, three years maybe, I think now. Um, He's capped 62 players. So he's been trying to find a formula that works and um, all these players now, um, your Chiesas and your Barellas and your Locatellis and and players like that, they're, they're all coming into that 23, 24-age bracket. And, you know, looking down the next kind of six years, and this team is going to go into a lot of tournaments um, with favourites tags or certainly be up there in, in the, the top two or three teams that you'd expect to win a tournament. Um, probably fair to compare them to the sort of level of talent that England have at the minute where Southgate's going to go to the Euros and you couldn't really tell who's going to who's going to bring with him and who's going to leave out. And Mancini's got a similar sort of problem, but there's quality in there along with the likes of the experience of Benucci and Chiellini at the back, Lorenzi at right back. You know, these guys are... You know, they've been there, they've done it, they've won things. Um, Jorginho and Verratti in the middle of the park. Um, and then the big lad through the middle, um, Bellotti, who's just like a, he's like a, a little bull. He's a tank. Um, and there's pace everywhere, you know. Just a really exciting side. Um, and, you know, I'll be interested to see them because I haven't got to watch them an awful lot. I know seen little bits of individual players here and there. Barella's been outstanding at Inter. Um, a proper box-to-box midfielder, the type of midfielder that you wouldn't really see anymore. Um, and then my wee favourite, um, Frederico Chiesa. Yeah, you, you can talk about his da. I know you really want to. Go for it. <laughs> his da was amazing. Anybody, anybody who's kind of my age will remember the... Gazetta football on Channel 4. <laughs> They'll remember the Parma side that, that Chiesa played in. If anybody wants to go and take a look back at, um, I think it's, it's the UEFA Cup final, um, where he scores an unbelievable goal. I think he scores two goals against England as well um, at Ellen's Road, if memory serves and a friendly. But quality, quality footballer. And his boy is equally talented but the looks of things not, a, not not the same sort of a player because it's, it's the old man was the pure goal scorer um, centre forward but this guy's got pace and skill and you know tricks but he's direct and um, he played his trade at Fiorentina and he cut his teeth there and he got his big move to Juventus which was one of the worst kept secrets um, in, in European football at the time but he's now getting selected week in week out and he's one of the few players in that team that is performing week in week out um he's keeping a lot of experience out of the out of the side because we know how many players Juventus have stockpiled over the last few years so yeah he's announced himself in the the Champions League stage um last week although they did go out but you know he's got a big future ahead of him uh, and so did a lot of those other guys um unfortunately for the the young fella Roma uh Zaniolo he's very very bad knee injury but he was part of that squad as well. Um, and he was also given his debut by Mancini. But it'll be really interesting to see where this where this side go because it looks as though this could be a golden generation for Italian football. Yeah, Pete, the main you, it's Federico Chiesa, the Davids Chiesa's wee lad. Um, two players he mentions there, actually, um, Jorginho and, uh, and Barella. Uh, Jorginho has actually been left out of the squad, which is bizarre because he doesn't seem to have an injury. Now, I don't know if Chelsea, if Thomas Tuchel's... Uh, kind of doing anything with with not letting players go on international duty and obviously he wants his players not to go out on international duty but could be using COVID as an excuse there. There seems to be no explanation for why he's not in the squad because he's been fantastic for Chelsea this season um, and he's been pretty good for the Italian national team as well and he's somebody who, who divides opinion and, and has done really since he arrived in England and probably before that as well and, uh, and Barella um, is potentially out of this as well actually including the other 
uh, I think there's three other uh, interplayers. There's Sensi, Bastoni, and Ricci. Um, Dave, feel free to jump in and correct me on any of those pronunciations. But those th- those four players are potentially uh, going to be missing from this game because there's been a COVID outbreak at uh, at Inter Milan, and Antonio Conte is really not keen to let those players uh, to let those players travel and 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 link up with the national team for a triple header and. I think when Italy announced their squad on Friday, um, there's a, an asterisk beside all four of those players and then something in Italian, which I don't know. I wasn't bothered to go on Google's Translate and work it out, <laughs> but it seems that, like there'll only be let go of the Italian health authorities and uh, if they allow that. Um, obviously, we're sitting here on Sunday night. The caveat we have to do with all these preview podcasts, uh, this is four days before the game. You know, any more news on, for example, Washington's injury or, or other injured players, you know, bear in mind when we are recording this. But... With those two players, well, certainly Jorginho out, potentially Barella as well. They still have so much quality in midfield. Verratti, just to name one, and, and Dave's rattled off a couple of names like Locatelli there. But it is going to be a weakened Italian midfield, potentially two of the three not playing. And I don't think, don't get me wrong, I don't think we're going to go to Karma um, and, and dominate the midfield or take control of the game. But... If we are going to sit back and we are going to try and play for a nil-nil and frustrate them, having two players of those qual- of that quality um, potentially out of the side uh, has to be a bonus for us. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 got to be something Barclough takes into account when he's setting up his side. If you know, if Italy are losing some of their main midfielders, uh, you'd imagine they'd have I don't know, probably seventy percent possession against us. Uh, most of it coming through the midfield. If they lose that sort of creativity, it, dare I say, opens the door slightly for us to try and get a bit more of a foothold in the game. I'm not too sure, but then you say like the likes of Verratti are still available. But to be honest, I don't. It probably doesn't change a huge amount how the Italians approach the game. They'll believe you know they still have the players in the squad to to do a job on us, but uh, it uh, it probably does give us a bit more hope. Going into it, you know, top players not there. Um, you know, I. How would you approach it then, from our point of view, Pete? Like, would you would you just go completely defensively? Would you even think about attack, or would you just play somebody to hold the ball up, and the other ten players are defenders? Uh, I think we have to carry a threat to some extent. I think if we go if we go there and just park the bus for ninety minutes, we're going to lose. And it's just going to be a matter of how many are at league going to score, but it. It won't be a matter of if, it'll be when. When do they score? I'd, I would play two up top um, because if we don't have the ball and we're lacking possession, we're going to be clearing it a lot up the pitch and we need two players to try and hold the ball up uh, so we can sort of get a foothold in the game. If it's just one striker, they'll be completely isolated. They'll lose the ball within a couple of touches and we'll be straight back under the cosh. I don't know, do you... What are you thinking on that? Yeah, on the two strikers thing, yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I do think we are going to go 3-5-2, but we will uh, we will definitely come on to that in the next part of the podcast. Just want to finish up on Italy uh, quickly here, Dave, um, because I was having a look through their team um, and a look at those attacking players such as uh, Chiesa, Mobile, and Senior Bellotti. Um, and I think there was a couple of others as well who are, who are scoring quite a few goals at club level. Uh, there's a guy Grifo at uh, at Freiburg who plays. Freiburg, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've uh, when I lived over in France, I was I was good mates with a Freiburg fan, and uh, and yeah, we watched Freiburg every weekend actually, and kind of went down the pub watch Liverpool after. That's just that's what we did. There was nothing to do in this in this wee town, and uh, and yeah, Grifo it was certainly one of the players who stood out. Whether or not he's gonna. I mean, I think they play Bulgaria and Lithuania, so they probably actually do see this as their toughest task. And you'd think they'd just go for um, the conventional strongest side, get the job done. Um, but talking about those players I mentioned there, at international level, the numbers haven't quite been there for a lot of them, especially for a Mobile, who, you know, we all know the season he had a couple of years ago where he won the Golden Shoe. Uh, I think he scored 36 goals in, uh, in Serie A. It might even have been more than that. It might have been... Um, at a greater rate than one again, but so many, you know, he's he's just such an incredible player who I'm not quite sure how it went wrong at, at Dortmund for him, but he's he's a he's a goal scoring machine and he's he's 19 goals, five assists this season in 31 games, but for his country he's 10 and five and 42, 
Um, Bellotti's slightly better than that. He's 10 and 7 in 31 for his country. And it's interesting, actually, that you'd normally think Immobile is kind of one of the best strikers in the world. He'd he'd play every game, but him and him and Bellotti kind of interchange. And Bellotti's actually been favoured for a lot of bigger games. And Chiesa, I'm sorry, I know this is blasphemy to you, but it's 1 and 5 at international level. Um, one goal, five assists in 21, where he's 12 goals, 10 assists and 36 for Juventus this season. Um, and Lorenzo Insigne is something similar, 13 goals, eight assists this season, uh, where he's seven goals, six assists in 38 games for his country. Loads of numbers there. But the the overarching point I'm trying to make is that these players haven't overly performed for their country so far, even in a Roberto Mancini side that's winning every week, that's scoring goals and has an incredible defensive platform. What do you think that is? And do you think it's anything other than what's going to be a reversion to the mean and maybe we're going to be on the receiving end of that? Well, I think, as I said before, um, he's used a lot of players and he's rotated a lot of the time and he hasn't necessarily got a nailed on, settled 11. Um, players have come in and out. You know what it's like with friendlies as well. And... Uh, Immobile is a, a strange one. Um, he went to Dortmund and he just didn't. It, it just didn't fit in. Just didn't fit in with the lifestyle there. Um, he got upset because nobody could take him out to dinner. Basically, um, didn't feel it was any sort of team ethos because the Italians they all go out for dinner together. It's the big team bonding session um, of the week or the day or however often that they do it, but. It just didn't happen for him out there, and he's come back to Lazio, and he's an absolute god at Lazio. They love him there, and he is—he is the main man. Whereas for Italy, he's not, and maybe he's just one of those players that that needs to be the big dog, if you will. So, yeah, Bellotti will probably go with, um, but you know, it, El Shawari is another strange one. Um, his record's not fantastic, but he's pacey and he's tricky and he, he's got a, an absolute worldie in him um, out of nowhere. But he's by no means been kneeled on in the national team either. So um, I would suggest that he'll probably go Bellotti and it could be any of Bernadeschi, Chiesa, Insigne and El Shawari kind of either side of him but the thing that is frightening is if it's not working for one of them he's got all kinds of options there on the bench to turn to and I think that's the one thing about this Italy team is there's just option after option after option and he doesn't need them to be firing all at the same time yeah sure always one of those players that uh was like definitely going to be the next big thing seven or eight years ago and hasn't quite worked out for him. But it's curious player, isn't he? Yes, he's back at Roma now and doing quite well. I think he had a spell in, was it Japan or China or somewhere, um, one of those leagues anyway, and it didn't work out for him. But uh, back scoring goals at, at Roma, I think he's only like 28, isn't he? Like You'd think because you've kind of heard his name for about a decade, you think he's in his 30s, but no, he's still... Uh, He's well, what you'd assume to be in the in the peak of his career, so he could be kind of one of those dark horses we have to look out for. Um, but yeah, they're they are an incredible side. It's because I think they didn't qualify for the world, the last World Cup. I think that was the first ever World Cup or first World Cup in something like sixty years that they hadn't qualified for. I think maybe actually the last one that they didn't qualify for before that was the famous. Uh, Battle of Belfast in 1958, where we we beat them 2-1 to to qualify for the for the 1958 World Cup in Sweden. But yeah, it's um, obviously they've, they've fairly got their act together, and and all these players coming through. I mean, just listening to the two, you, I'm getting a bit depressed here. I don't know if I'm going to watch the game on Thursday night, to be honest. But uh, listen, if you haven't, uh, if you're still with us, if you haven't, uh, if if you're not crying into your your Sunday night dinner right now, we are going to go on and do a bit of a quiz now. If you remember last time. Uh, Dave Dunning uh, is our reigning champion, having taken the the quiz on competitive debutants for Northern Ireland last 15. Um, and we're going to pit these two against each other again. Uh, and Pete is going to be going first this time. He's looking to take back his title. Well, you can't really take back your title, Pete. You've uh, you never had it. But um, here's the topic for this one anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're bidding to make this one all. Here's the topic. Um, 
so what's what's going to happen? People who didn't listen to the last one, basically, um, you guys are going to take turns in naming things within this topic um, until somebody either can't name one uh, or 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 names one names one that is wrong. Okay, so the topic this time is Northern Ireland's twenty-three man squad at Euro twenty sixteen. Northern Ireland's 23-man squad at Euro 2016. Don't think I need any more explanation for that. Uh, I've got all the names in front of me here. Uh, and Pete, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, not giving us any time to think then. Uh, start at the back, <laughs> Michael McGovern. Michael McGovern's correct. Hero. Dave. Very good. Gareth McCauley. GMAC is correct. Pete. Johnny Evans. Johnny Evans is correct. Played left-back most of the tournament. Dave. Your mate, Craig Cathcart. <laughs> is wrong. No, yeah, it's correct. Uh, Pete? Uh, Connor McLaughlin. Connor McLaughlin is a good shout. Yep. Dave? Stephen Davis. Steve Davis, correct. Moving on to the midfielders. Pete? Okay, Oliver Norwood. Ollie Norwood, good shout. Well remembered. Dave? I say well remembered. He did just produce the he did produce biggest the- moment in our history. Yeah. <laughs> um, Faint praise there, Dave. Um, Kyle Lafferty. Yeah, big Kyle is correct. Uh, so you've got you've got eight of the twenty-three. Pete. Okay. Connor Washington. Connor Washington is correct. Actually, makes his competitive debut at the Euros. Um, that was one I was thinking maybe would trick you with a competitive debut last time, but yeah, made his competitive debut at the Euros in that Ukraine game. Uh, Dave. Nile McGinn. Nal McGinn is correct. Good shout. Scores the second goal, of course, against Ukraine in that famous win. Pete. Okay. Big Josh. Josh Big Josh is right. <laughs> imagine, um, for another podcast, but imagine he didn't go into the corner. Or imagine he, uh, he, went, he went up the other end and scored. I'll, I want to get him on the podcast, and I just want to ask him about that for half an hour. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dave. Um, God, let me think. I want to say, I want to say Jamie Ward. Are you saying him? I'm going to have to now, aren't I, Jamie Ward? Yep, Jamie Ward's correct. Oh, I miss him. Great shot. I loved him, yeah. Yeah, uh... So you've got uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 of 13. Or twenty-three. I have, an, I have an absolute belter here. I know who you're going to say. It's not Lund, is it again? No, that's not my answer. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, right. Paddy McNair. Paddy McNair is correct. Yeah, uh, actually starts the first game against Poland. Hooked at half time. I know who you're going to say, Dave. It's a Glenman shot, isn't it? I am going to have to say it now because like, my mind's kind of gone blank. Luke McCulloch. Yeah, Luke McCulloch's correct. When I was writing this quiz, I knew you would, uh, and you get that I one. I think you wrote that before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. Yeah, Pete. Um. Do you want, do you want me, at this point, I can give you positions. How, how many are left? Sorry. Um, so you've one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine left. Uh, you've two keepers. You've three defenders. This is how they were listed, by the way, in the on the. Uh, when the squad was announced, so you know, like somebody could play in between defence midfield. The, this is how they were listed: two keepers, three defenders, three midfielders, and one striker. Okay. Um, Dallas was there. Is that your answer? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, sure, Dallas correct. Wasn't actually established Region. inside at that point, but no. yeah. Was that your own, Dave? Region, aye. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh. I'm trying to think, did Will Greg go? And I'm really not sure. You were there. I know. <laughs> All right, Will Greg. Yeah, Will Greg's correct. Oh, he does go. Uh, he got a um, voice, didn't he? He did get in ahead of Boyce. It was quite controversial because I think Boyce was top scorer in the SPL that season with Ross County. Uh, and Greg was top scorer in League One. But yeah, there's a, there's a kind of theory that goes about that Maybe Greg was brought to, to sell a bit of merchandise, but who knows? Uh, anyway, Pete, there are seven left. So you've got 15 of the 23. You've two keepers, you've three uh, defenders, and you've two midfielders. Yeah. Oh, 
By the way, if Pete gets one wrong, Dave, you still need to get one right because Pete went first. The keepers are knowing me. I think I'll stick. Surely Corey Evans was there. Is that, is that what oh, your answer? Surely, yeah. Corey Evans. Yeah, Corey Evans, correct. A famous refused to be substituted. Dave, oh, I'm really struggling now. I'm really struggling now. Uh, Michael Smith. Um, is that your answer? Yeah. No, Michael Smith's wrong. Sorry, Dave. It's oh, one all. No, it's no. one all. I'd Pete. Michael Smith lined up next. <laughs> oh, Feels like a hollow victory. Oh, well done, Pete. Yes. <laughs> right, that's one all. Uh, any you were unsure of that you maybe want to throw in? I was unsure of nearly all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? No, I can't think now. The keepers are annoying me as well. Well, sure. Yeah, keepers. I mean, Lee Camp was gone, wasn't he? Yeah, Camp was long gone. Um, I mean, was Carson there? No, uh, Roy Carroll. I was going to say, did Roy, Roy Carroll go? Yeah, Roy Carroll plays most of that campaign. Michael McGovern comes in from late. Yeah. Um, the nil-nil at home to Romania, which was one of the latter games in that campaign. That's actually Michael McGovern's debut, or sorry, it's, it's, it's his second game for Northern Ireland competitive debut. So it's mad how like how late McGovern came in. Yeah. He was thirty at that point. Uh, the other keeper was Alan Manis. Probably wouldn't have got that anyway. Um, I, I, I should I, I should have got Alan Manis because I played football with Alan Manis in school. So that's a real <laughs> clanger of drop there, isn't and it? And Alan Manis is what age now, Dave? <laughs> Well, uh, pr- presuming he will be 39. Yeah, I think he is 38, yeah. Uh, sorry, but that was a low blow. Um, yeah, the other ones, uh, let's go from the ones you're going to kick yourself most. Chris Bird. Oh, no. Chris Bird, yeah, Chris oh, Bird. Oh, do you know who else? I thought, I thought Aaron Hughes and his yep. game went right out of my head again. You're as kidding soon as I thought of it. Aaron Hughes would have been right as well. Yeah, he plays a couple of the games. He comes he can, in. He's- yeah, yeah, yeah. Plays yeah. right back. Um, your other two were Shane Ferguson, actually plays the first game against Poland uh-huh. uh, before Johnny Evans goes to, to left back. And Lee Hodgson was the final one. So not yeah. a bad effort there, lads. That was what? Was that 17? I think that was 17 of the 23. So decent going. And Michael Smith, one of those who you assume has just been around for ages and uh, and would get in. But no, not to be. So uh, so one all. We'll have to get you back on for the... The next preview, I mean, the next preview is going to be in September, isn't it? So um, hopefully nobody's too invested in this because they're going to be very disappointed. But yeah, um, good stuff. Well played, guys. Well played, Pete. Uh, we're going to take a quick break now. Um, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the game from a Northern Ireland point of view. We've done a lot on Italy. And we're going to talk a little bit about the controversial Gawa official scheme as well. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Okay, cool. Welcome back. Um, I was going to do this at the end of the podcast, but I don't want to finish it on a sour note, so we're going to do it now. Um, we normally don't really do things like this. We just talk about the football, but I felt like I'd be ducking this issue doing a Northern Ireland podcast if we didn't at least talk for a brief while about it. Um, and it is the Gawa official scheme. Um, now, I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this will know what it is because you know, you're all probably campaign hardcoders or official membership holders or know someone who is or everyone's kind of affected by this in some way. So if I can just give the facts dead quick as as uh, as accurately as I know them, I think it's £20 per campaign card holder, uh, £25 if you have an official membership. That's supposedly a discounted price for this scheme. Uh, and basically this is, you pay your money um, and this gets you into the ballot for if there are fans at the at the games uh, the remaining games in this campaign. Now, we obviously play Bulgaria at home next Wednesday, and then the other three home games are Italy, uh, Switzerland, and Lithuania, uh, which will all be played between September and November. So you're thinking, um, well, you'd hope that there'd be full stadiums in by that point. I certainly do. I'm certainly banking on it. I'm doing the dates, seeing how I can get home, which games I can get home for, and uh, yeah, uh, so I can't see why, why there won't be full stadiums for those ones, especially at home. Um, the way the UK vaccine rollout's going. Um, but if you don't sign up to this scheme, uh, you basically won't be going to any matches in this campaign, uh, which just seems a bit bizarre, seeing they did a ballot for Slovakia, which um, which which worked well. Campaign card holders were entered. 1,060 people were drawn out. They were the, one, the lucky ones, and, uh, and everyone took it from there without many complaints, really. Um, now, it doesn't affect future campaigns. So, like, if you choose not to do this, you won't get into any games this campaign. 
uh, but your campaign card will be frozen for the 2024 Euro campaign, I think it is now. Uh, all the dates are wildly jumbled in my head ever since this Euro was postponed. But Dave, it's, uh, I'm looking at it and I'm just thinking, like, why the need? Um, what's the need for it, really? Uh, they don't seem to be really covering up the fact that it's just a money-making scheme. Um, now, the three of us here doing this podcast, we're all campaign card holders. You've obviously been going uh, for a bit longer than me and Pete have, but it's it's one of those where like you feel like you're part of the problem buying into it, but also you know they know this, and that's why they're playing on fans' loyalty. They know we want to go to these games. They know we need something to look forward to, uh, and they can pretty much charge whatever they want. Yeah, um, it's, what, £20 for the pleasure of potentially not being able to buy a ticket? Yeah. Or, do you know, or, okay, great, you're allowed to to buy a ticket now, so give me your money for your ticket. You know, it's a bit bit brazen. It's a bit brass neck, isn't it? Um, I get that with the empty stadiums, there's been a financial hit. Um, I think people are very, very outspoken about how necessary international football is in this climate at the moment. Um, but the reason it's necessary is financial. Um, and that's why uh, they're plowing ahead with it. And more so the smaller nations like ourselves rely on that income. So I can understand why. Maybe some sort of explanation as to here's what we feel we have to do. Here's why we have to do it would be great. I think. Yeah, transparency. Thing, You'd like transparency in this. That's the thing. I, I would love transparency. Um, I don't even necessarily need to be told where the money's going to go. And I know that might be a separate issue. But, you know, I think people need to understand why they felt the need to go and do this for them to accept it wholly. But as you say, you'll probably just fork your money over anyway. The issue that I have, I think more so than anything else, is it's not a lot of notice, is it? No, yeah, if you if you hadn't if you hadn't read your emails, you know, you'd six days, I think it is. I think it's the twenty sixth of March that this closes and then and then it just is on to the to the general public and Pete rightly um you know, people will be seeing this as their as their ladder to get tickets for for Windsor Park, and you know, a lot of people. The word bandwagon jumper. Uh, that's two words. The two words bandwagon jumper. Um, I've been thrown around a lot, uh, kind of since Euro 2016. I think it's like a lot of supporters trying to like. They're better that some people have kind of jumped on the national team. I personally think, you know, the more supporters we can get. And, you know, I went to a game Israel 2013. I had a spare and I couldn't get a ticket sold for it. And uh, even if it is people kind of kind of jumping on the glory, I think that's that's absolutely fine with me, to be honest. But there does have to be an extent to which there's there's loyalty in this, and and uh, you know the people that the IFA are kind of screwing over with this, and you know it's it's not an obscene amount of money. You know, it's if you're if you're an official um, membership holder, you know, if you have a couple of memberships, it could be fifty quid though, which especially in these times is you know it can be quite difficult for people to find that and. Fair play to the amalgamation. I know Gary McAllister, um, who's the chairman of the amalgamation and Northern Ireland Supporters Club. He listens into this podcast, and, and I think they've done a great job. They've uh, they've ended up making it that half of it is uh, is taken off the next campaign card, and it can be paid in two installments, which which certainly helped me. That's what I've done um, as a student. So my problem with it is, and it's 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 not really to do with this, but it's a uh, it's endemic of football in general. And I remember. Just an example that sticks out in my head that I thought was mental. I paid £44 for a ticket uh, for Bosnia at home in the Nations League in 2018. I think if you wanted a grandstand ticket, which is like central north stand or central south stand, supposedly a better view, um, you had to pay 55 Now, that includes the Ticketmaster fee. It was 40 and 50 just going to the IFA, but it's still come out of my pocket, you know, and you look at Ulster Rugby, who people kind of turn their nose up at and say that's the oh, the Malone Road Supporters Club and, and are proud of the fact that football is a working man's game. You know, you can get £23 for a ticket at Ulster Rugby if you want to stand and you can have a pint. Now, I understand they play every week. They have a much greater revenue stream coming in, but something's not right about the fact that if you're a... If you're four of your mate, four of your mates want to go to the game, you're you're shelling out two hundred quid in some cases. And if a family of four want to go, say two adults, two children, I know that the, the, 
kids tickets are discounted and um, you could be forking out near 150 quid in, in certain instances which just can't seem right for football can it yeah it's it's not great Do you, has there been any mention of the prices of tickets after the ballots been made you know, I think no, I don't be... think so. They'll they'll just be around 40, 50, 60 quid as usual though. Especially for big games. Yeah. No, I you know, it's it's a difficult issue. Like I think Dale Dale Dave sorry. <laughs> Dale. <laughs> Dave has hit the nail on the head. Um I think I would like to see a bit of transparency just to maybe a justification why they've done it. I mean, I'm sure like most institutions are probably a bit strapped for cash because of the pandemic. Um, I don't, I don't really think it should be obligatory to have to, to pay to enter this scheme, especially for campaign cardholders and official members who over the years have paid all their, you know, given a lot of money to Northern Ireland paying for their tickets over the years. Um, you know, some people can maybe afford to pay the twenty pounds under the scheme. Some people can't if they're buying for lots of people. Um, so I don't think it it should be necessary or mandatory to pay to enter the scheme. Um, you don't want to price people out of football. In terms of more people get it on the bandwagon, you know, I I don't really mind it. More the merrier, in my opinion, because we've gone through days where Windsor Park was, you know, not full. And the more people you can pack into the stadium, the better the atmosphere. And you know, people have got to start coming to the games at some point to get hooked and to keep coming back. Um, yeah, it's it's a tricky issue. I think you know, I'm probably like yourself. I'm gonna, yeah, you know, I'll probably buy a membership for the scheme just for the chance to see Northern Ireland play again. So they've sort of got us there. Yeah, they're they're playing on the loyalty, and my kind of thing on it is like if it's just like ruthless supply and demand, come out and say it. The IFA do this thing where they they kind of pretend to to be so grateful to these loyal supporters who have who have seen us through the dark days, the days of Worthington, etc. But if it's, you're just gonna do kind of the ruthless capitalism thing on it, just come out and say it and be honest about it. I'd almost appreciate that more. And you know, I went to that. I mentioned that Bosnia game, the Nations League. That was the first game after Switzerland, and um, certainly first competitive game after Switzerland. It was two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. It was in the middle of the summer. Windsor Park should have been bouncing, but they charged 45 quid for a ticket. And uh, they ended up having like a couple of thousand empty seats there. I think the, the attendance was somewhere in the 16,000s, which is just unforgivable for me. You know, it's it's it, it's just complete balls up of everything. Um, first of all, you know, of course, yeah, you're getting to see Jekyll and Pjanic, but you're not getting to see an, an absolute giant of the European game. You're getting to see Bosnia, you know, in a Nations League where people are still a bit confused as to whether they're going to take it seriously or not. But, um, you know, at the time there was a lot of opposition to it and it was just kind of drab that day. And it just made me, it just annoyed me because if you make tickets 30 quid, you have a bounce in Windsor, you maybe get a few supporters in there who, who, you know, haven't been to games and are really excited for it and really up for it. Like, uh, like maybe some campaign card holders wouldn't have been for a nation's league game. And you just could have done it so much better, but instead, you know, you're, you're looking at just, just pricing these, these supporters who, who who are mainly working class, who have been going for years uh, out of it, um, and kind of anyone you can get in, anyone who's jumped on the bandwagon, as long as they're paying the money, and that's the thing, we'll always pay the money. Boycotts don't work, and um, because there always will be people who will be looking to get in the ladder, and completely understandably as well. But let's leave that there. That's my thoughts on it anyway. As long as you guys are happy enough, um, and Dave. Let's go on to talk about Northern Ireland. Let's talk about the formation as well. Now, Jordan Jones has been has been left out of the squad. He's injured. He picked up an injury for Sunderland, which is a bit of a blow uh, because he was doing quite well there. And his his form for Sunderland had coincided with them doing a little bit better. They were pushing for promotion. I think they were if, a couple of games in hand. And if they win, those are only a point off the top of the league. And um, so they're looking very good to go back up, as we kind of predicted on the uh, on the transfer roundup show we did in January. So. I know you're not a massive fan of him, and I know we've done the um, we've done Jordan Jones to death basically in the last two podcasts. So I'm not going to ask you to talk about him. But does the lack of wingers in the squad? Um, I think it's only McGinn, Kennedy, and White who are the recognised wingers, and even White can play up front. Um, does that lead you towards the belief that maybe three five two is the future for this campaign? Yeah, it's uh, it seems to be what it seems to be is Barclough's go to and. It looks as though he's not going to deviate from that, which is fine. Um, if he's going to commit to something, I prefer he just does commit to something, whatever it might be, rather than 
throwing in different formations and different shapes week in, week out. That's not really what you want. You need continuity, especially when you get so few sessions training together and so little time together as a group. So <clears throat> for us, we need to be organized. We need to be compact. We need to be disciplined. And you have a better chance of doing that if you're if you're playing a consistent shape and a consistent formation. So that's fine. Um, ironically, notwithstanding my opinion of Jones, this probably would have been a really good good game to have him for. As you say, is in form. He scored a couple of goals. Sunderland are going well. It's a move that seems to have worked out for him. And as good as Italy are, I think probably one of the weaker areas on the pitch for them is that left-back situation where it's Emerson Palmieri, uh, the Chelsea reserve, reserve left-back, I think, um, who is primarily starting there for them. So, yeah, I, w- I would expect to see probably a 3-5-2 um, because I, I I think you're right. I think he's kind of nailed his colours to the mast there with, with the squad that he's picked, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. And uh, and and Pete, it's it's one of these where we do seem to have the players for a three five two now. It does all seem to be like coming together as part of a perfect storm. Paddy McNair has been playing in the back three at Middlesbrough and uh, and uh, and has been doing quite well by all accounts. And even the likes of Cathcart, Evans, Ballard, and and Kieran Brown, who's in the squad, have been playing in the back three. And we'll come on to specifics later, but it's shown itself to be an effective formation for us against the against uh, in games where we're heavy underdogs. I mean, we've done podcasts after those those Romania and Austria games where we've been quite competitive, to be fair to us, uh, with the 3-5-2, with players like Flanagan and McLaughlin playing in the back line. And you look at the lineups and you think that'll be a hammering. But for the first time, Barakov's kind of made us... He hasn't had the most incredible start to his Northern Ireland career as a manager, but he's made us competitive in these games and, and with this second string. And... We don't have triple headers in the sense that, uh, of competitive triple headers. Obviously, we've got the friendlies in between. But if this, as Dave said, if this is the sword that Ian Barraclough's going to die on, I'd, I'd prefer that, you know, I'd prefer he, he died on this hill rather than did something that he, he clearly didn't want to do. He, you know, he's a pragmatic manager. You have to be a pragmatic manager when you're when you're managing Northern Ireland. You can't really be a fundamentalist. Um, and I don't think we've really ever had one. So 3-5-2 for you. Yeah, uh, 100%, certainly for the Italy game. I think if the Nations League did one thing for us, it gave Barclough a chance to experiment. So he's had that t- chance to sort of tinker with team selection, personnel, formations, whatever. Now is the time to really see the style that he wants to implement with the team. And if it's 3-5-2, I just hope he sticks to his guns with that. You know, he's, he's tried different personnel. It seemed, you know, in those games against Austria and Norway with weaker sides it seemed to have worked I think it's it's definitely the way I go, way to go against the Italians if we need to have a chance I think it's the 3-5-2 suits us because it allows the the wingbacks Lewis and Dallas to get a bit further up the pitch um, if they were in a back four I think they'd be camped back a bit especially if Italy have the ball the whole time and also it allows us to play two strikers because when I think when we play the bigger nations and we've got wingers the wingers just get forced back and leave the striker completely isolated. Um, so I think allowing our fullbacks to go up the pitch and having two strikers are the two key things I think it, it'll give us against Italy if we don't have any sort of foothold in the game. Yeah, I think it's only really been prime Lafferty where he was holding everything up. He had that score and touch and, and you were able to kind of play the 4-3-3. But since then, you know, we've had strikers like Washington's had good games, McGuinness has had good games, but there hasn't been that real reliable striker that can just do everything for you up there while while you're waiting for like a Nile begin to trudge back up the pitch. But I'll stick with you, Pete. Um because on the on the three five two, let's talk about the three. Um Johnny Evans you'd expect to be in there. There have been a few people saying uh, Craig Cathcart should be dropped and it should be McNair and Ballard beside Johnny Evans. Even I'm not saying that. Uh, <laughs> that's saying something for anyone who listens to this podcast and knows uh, my frustrations with Craig Cathcart at time. But I um, I put a Twitter uh, a poll out on Twitter today. Um, three five two looks like it. who would be your third centre back with Evans and Cathcart. And eighty four percent of people said Daniel Ballard. Thirteen percent of people said drop McNair back, and three percent of people said Kieran Brown. Is it Ballard for you, or are you going to go against the people? Um, it's Ballard for me. You know, he's he's he got his chance in the Nations League. He played pretty well. Um, so I think he, he's done enough to keep his place in the squad. And I think 
McNair provides us would be of more benefit to us in the midfield, certainly for these games. So yeah, Ballard, Ballard starts for me and McNair in midfield. Yeah, Dave, that's the thing. There's absolutely no doubt about Paddy McNair's quality as a centre half, and uh, I think Neil Warnock, the the incredible typical man manager that he is, had said that McNair was an average central midfielder and a, a brilliant centre half, and of course now he's had the play in centre mid. So good one, Neil. You tit. Um, way to make your best feeler player feel at home there. Uh, but is, is it Ballard for you as well? Or like Kieran Brown's played four games for Cardiff now. They're looking that they might go up next season. Uh, he's out of contract there at the end of the year. Um, so you never know if he impresses. He could be a Premier League player next year, whereas Ballard's playing in League One. Um, does that play into it at all for you? Or would you like to see Ballard in this one as well? I think it's for this game. It's, it's a difficult one. I have a sneaking feeling that he might go McNair. I don't know why. Um, I just have a feeling that he will. But realistically, this is kind of what this is kind of where we are. Um, where we're not, we prioritise Dallas as as kind of that right wing back. We're really I, I just like him in the midfield and McNair. As we've seen, can play centre half as well. I just really like to see him in the midfield as well. Um, but Ballard, yeah. Looks like he could potentially have a really bright future. Um, he's having a good season at Blackpool. They're going well at the minute. Um, I think another win at the weekend for them away to Oxford. So yep, he scored. He scored, did he? Yep. Oh, we'll play him then. Yep. That's <laughs> weird. Um, another threat. Well, yeah, in. I think. One of one of the things we were sold on with Barclough here was was his work in the under twenty ones and and that was supposed to ease that transition um, of what essentially was and still is an aging squad um, and bringing through those young players and blooding them into the first team and I think again pretty much the same with the formation if he's going to do that and we're going to have to take our licks along the way then that's absolutely fine I just want to see him commit to it. And if it's Ballard and he has a, an absolute nightmare, I don't necessarily want him pulled out. Yeah, definitely. And he, he is having such a good season in League One, as you say. And, and Blackpool actually have one of the best defensive records in the in the top in the top four leagues in England. Actually, um, I think I've got written down here um, that Ballard actually he's only conceded nine in the fifteen games he's played in the league, which is a pretty incredible record. You're talking about a, a you know conceding one in every two games and he's he's played the last eight he's he's had a run of games that's what i i said in the last podcast is what he needed because he had kind of been plagued with injuries and there's no doubt about his quality but if you're looking at kind of getting him a championship move next year which you'd think would be the natural progression um whether that's with blackpool or otherwise then you know if he's only played kind of 10 12 games here and there even if he's been doing fantastically in league one with blackpool um a team might not take a chance on him, but yeah, I'm going with Ballard as well, absolutely. Um, I think the key to it is that it will be in a back three. I think if it's in a back two with like Johnny Evans, then you can really see him getting exposed, especially with uh, Davis, you mentioned, likes of Chiesa and Bernadeschi, these these quality wingers and senior as well. You know that you'd think that they'll occupy Jamal Lewis and, and Stuart Dallas and leave the, the centre half fairly exposed to have three in there to mark uh, Immobile, Bellotti, whoever it is. I think that's a massive thing for us. And uh, and Ballard, you know, if you look at him and, and he hasn't really made a mistake for us yet, uh, he always seems to be playing on the edge. He's like a, a bomb that's that's about to go off until it actually does. Uh, let's keep him in there. And, uh, you know, maybe pace, maybe, uh, maybe trickery getting in and around him could be a weak point from what I've seen. But in terms of out and out bread and butter defending, he, he does it fantastically. And, uh, and I, I think in a back three, he'll have that protection. He'll have Johnny Evans next to him, talking him through the game. And uh, and, and and I think he should play this one, actually. Uh, I'd keep McNair in the yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the three of them there, you know, at, at a variety of different levels, um, we're presuming who? Cathcart the third? Yeah. So they're all playing first-team football. They're all having good seasons relative to the teams that they're playing for. So they should be coming in a decent form. And I think this is something that this is something that I think is a real positive when you're looking down the squad and a lot of those guys there, most of them in fact they're are playing first team football week in, week out. And I don't think that that's a luxury that we've had in recent years. You're throwing players in cold that aren't necessarily fit. Even La- even Kyle Lafferty's getting a game and scoring goals 
you know? So Washington's another one, McGuinness, um, White now as well. So these players, are, they're playing games. They're what you would call match fit, um, and they should be feeling good about themselves. So hopefully that gives us a little edge that we maybe haven't had in recent years. Yeah, definitely. And Pete, talking about the midfield, then if you're if you're playing Ballard, then you'd expect Davis and uh, McNair to play. And then there's a bit of a debate over the third midfielder. Now we've got Corey Evans, Jordan Thompson, and George Savile, all who have um, have played a fair share of games in the Championship this season. Thompson, I think, someone who is who's often forgotten. He's he started more than half the games for Stoke, who are top half of the Championship, and and he's only 23. I think we should be a little bit more excited about him, but. Who would you who would you play in that third midfield role? And I guess if he does pick McNair at the back, I know you don't think I know you don't want him to, and I don't want him to either. Um, but if he does, then what would be your two in midfield? The two. If he if he went McNair at the back, obviously Davis starts. Um, I put Corey Evans in there. Yeah. And probably McCann. Interesting. Uh, I have Rince. Do you remember the job Michael Smith did? <laughs> I can't believe you've thrown a Smith DM show in. I was a bit disappointed he didn't make your poll. No, was... <laughs> there were so many four <laughs> options, mate. Who were you going to leave out? George Savile? <laughs> well, you probably would have got more of a percentage of the vote than him, to be fair. Um, see, right, I was on the assumption that McNair starts in midfield, I would play McCann. Mm-hmm. over Corey Evans and reason being I think we just need I think McCann seemed to be a bit better on the ball compared to Corey Evans don't know if you agree yeah I think it might you know if we if we want to get any foothold in the game if we get the ball we're going to be under real pressure from Italy and we need people who can keep hold of it maybe dribble past a couple of players and then make a pass and I just think McCann is more of that ability um than someone like Corey Evans, who's really industrious. He's decent on the ball, but I don't think he quite has the same ability as someone like McCann. Um, yeah, that's it. That, that's my that's my only reasoning for starting McCann, but I can completely get why Corey Evans would start. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, that's, that's all I've got to say. Cool, yeah. sorry, I thought you were going to say something else. Yeah, Dave, it's... Uh, Corey Evans, he has always been relied on in these games, especially under Michael O'Neill. Michael loved playing him, whether it was in that kind of auxiliary right wing role where he kind of covered the two positions or just in the centre midfield by himself. And he really gives you that energy. But as Pete says, he doesn't quite have that quality in the ball. And from what we've seen of McCann, uh, albeit only two Nations League games, he has impressed. He's kind of done a bit of everything. In Austria, he was he, he brought that energy, he brought that quality in the ball as well. And he did the same against... Uh, Romania, do you agree with Pete's assertion that maybe he is Corey Evans with a bit more technical quality and 10 years younger? Uh, and do you think you'd, you'd maybe even throw him into this one? Um, or what, what would kind of be your midfield composition? First of all, if McNair is in midfield, so one other. And if McNair is at the back, so two others. If it's McNair in the middle of the park, I would say you'll probably go with Savile, won't he? Yeah, that's not going to be a popular shout, but I think you might be right. Yeah. I know, I know it's not, but let's be real here. He'll probably go with Savile. I think Corey Evans is great because he knows his limitations. But one thing that, and this is why, this is why, um, this is why I only loved him. Um, he just would go out and carry out his instructions to the absolute letter. Um, and I think against a team like Italy, that's what we're going to need. We're going to need players that can go out there, can absolutely carry out the game plan uh, and put it in the effect of perfection, because that's the only way you're getting anything from this game. And Corey Evans is the guy to do that. Whether he's got the legs anymore is a different is a different thing. Um, I think you will have to get in and around them. You're going to have to make it difficult for them. You're going to have to put them under pressure, not give them time in the ball, not give them time to pick that pass. Um to see the run and thread the ball through and, and get us turned around. So um, I think realistically what you want in there is guys who are who are big, physical, fit and quick. And I think for that reason, he'll probably go George Savile. And if we need to put two in there, the likelihood is it's probably a toss up between Evans and Thompson, probably Evans. Do you not, do you not think 
Salvo can be a bit passive at times. Totally. I, totally. Yeah. 100%. I, you know, it's not necessarily what I would do. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, just what I, it's just what I think Barclough will go with. Um, Salvo seems to be one of those ones that's continually trusted to go mm. out there and put the shift in. Um, and maybe we don't see what he does in relation to what his instructions are. And I know that he's kind of at the scene of the crime, you know, more often than we'd like him to be. And he's kind of turning into a little bit of a scapegoat. And I don't necessarily think that's 100% fair on him. Um, I think maybe we're maybe a lot of people are making him out to be a lot worse than he actually is. Uh, because for, for Middlesbrough, again, goes out there and he plays every week. And occasionally, of this season as well, he's actually yeah, our top scorer this season at club level, aside from the strikers. Yeah, and occasionally he'll bang one in from 20 yards, and he's got a decent shot on him. So, um, if we could see that George Savile more in a green shirt, then that would just be great, and I'd be really, really happy for him. Yeah, 100. percent Yeah, you, you want to see him get the bit between the teeth. Yeah, you know, he looks. Sometimes lacks that. He just lacks something. You know, sometimes. When we're under pressure and we need someone in midfield to try and control the game, he he's not always there. You know, he's not always making himself available when he has the ability. You know, he might do it at club level, um, and he has goals to his game at club level. You just want to see that because there is potential there. I think that's more the frustration. Yeah, he looks to hide sometimes yeah. during the game, um, and I think that has got purely got to be a confidence thing and yeah. you know he's maybe not enjoying it out there maybe when the game isn't going his way particularly when he's playing for Northern Ireland you know yeah. his head just maybe wobbles a little bit and players are like that um, mm. when they're not feeling when they're not feeling good about themselves they don't want the ball they're afraid of the ball um, and I think you're right when you when you talk about him being passive I think he does tend to shirk responsibility at times when he gets himself into a funk like that and that's what happens um, whenever balls drop six yards out and he smashes it over the bar, you know that's the sort of thing that happens when you're feeling like that. Yeah, you you stole my next joke, Dave. So I was gonna say if we need to waste a bit of time, just give George Savile a volley four yards out. We'll take ten minutes to get the ball back. Yeah, yeah, a <laughs> Charlie Allen penalty, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Uh, well, the results of that poll just dead quick. Um, Ali McCann came out fifty-two percent of the vote. Everyone wants to see him in midfield. Uh, Corey Evans twenty-four percent, Thompson sixteen percent, and Savile eight percent. Um, probably not well, reflective of what's likely. You, if that doesn't tell you Savile's going to start, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he was on 0% for a few hours. <laughs> so I don't know if he's logged into a few of his accounts and given himself a few votes. But uh, yeah, right at the bottom of that poll, which is interesting, I don't think necessarily reflects uh, what Barraclough's thinking, uh, as you say, Dave. Um, Pete, dead quick, it wouldn't be a Spur of 2016 podcast without uh, a striker debate. Um, so we've got Liam Boyce, who uh, is in Labour, Liam Boyce isn't in labour. Liam Boyce's wife is uh, is in labour at the minute. Uh, he looks like he's gonna he's gonna miss the Italy game if reports are to be believed. Uh, Connor Washington, the reports this morning from the Northern Irish media saying he's a major doubt uh, for this game, which is a bit of a blow to us because he's been scoring a few goals at Championship level, and and Connor Washington is one of those players you know what he's going to give you anyway. So it looks like we've got Lafferty, Charles McGuinness, and White to choose from. I think we should go with a big man, little man up front if we're playing the two. I think that combination is is the only thing we've really seen work in the three five two for Northern Ireland. And uh, I think when Boyce and McGuinness started up front against Romania, it just looked so stodgy. It was so hard to watch. I think we need that pace in behind. So when I was thinking about this in the last week, I was thinking it would be um, Boyce or McGuinness uh, alongside Washington or White. Um, so if you rule Boyce and Washington out, it has to be McGuinness and White for me. Um, but give me your thoughts on who, who you play up front. No, I, I'm totally in agreement. Big man, small man combo has to be the way. Uh, or at least that was my idea beforehand. Um, and I would have opted to start Boyce up top with either Washington or Gavin White. Um, if those two aren't fit to play, you know, I'd definitely start Gavin White just to have someone who offers a bit of pace. And, you know, if the Italians go with Bonucci and Chiellini, they, they aren't as quick as they used to be. Um, so you do need that. Um, and then then you've got between McGuinness and Lafferty. Hmm. It's, diff- it's a difficult one. Uh, I'd probably opt for McGuinness. Would Lafferty come off the bench if that's the case? 
Yeah, that's my call as well. And Dave, is there an argument for Dion Charles? There's been a lot of chat about him. Um, you know, he's playing in the same league as McGuinness and Washington. He's playing at a higher level than uh, than Liam Boyce, and he's outscoring them all 18 goals this season. Um, is there an argument to just throw him in here, or do you think his chance will come against the USA and he'll have to work his way up compared to these strikers who have kind of been in and around the squad for a number of years? Realistically, with Washington out, I don't. I really don't see why not. To be honest with you, I think we're we're actually. This is weird. We're actually in a fortunate position at the moment. We've got a number of strikers who are scoring goals. I know it's League One level, but they're all scoring goals. And it's beggars bizarre. can't be choosers. Well, yeah, beggars can't be choosers. Absolutely. I think, and I'd probably like to see him go with with McGuinness and White. Um, I think we got loads of benefit with club players, uh, players playing together at club level uh, and taking those relationships into the, the national setup before, um, particularly with the West Brom kind of three that were there, um, Evans, McCauley and, and Brunt at the time. So um, those two seem to be, they seem to be enjoying their, their football at Hull. McGuinness is scoring goals. Um, they're even letting them take penalties madly. So, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would like to see that. I think I like White. I think we we will need the pace to get in behind him. They'll probably play Benucci and and Chiellini, I would presume they're two two big big lads. So, you know, put Not the ball out as well. Yeah, totally. Um, but no matter who it is in in, in world football, hoofing a ball up there and asking someone to make it stick with those two big lads that that's a tough ask for any centre forward playing at any level. So. You know, for our boys, that's going to be a particularly difficult task. So, yeah, I think I think McGuinness, McGuinness, White, I would say, um, I'd probably go on Washington if he was fit over White, but he's not. So, um, you'll probably see charge against the USA. We'll see what he's made of then. Yeah, and five substitutes as well. So uh, I wouldn't mind seeing you know Lafferty and Charles off the bench. It's uh, if a chance falls, you know there are two players who seem to be well. Charles in form and Kyle Lafferty's probably the best finisher in our squad. So you know if if we need something, you know say seventy minutes one nil, if we can just get to there, then you can throw these guys on and Charles is riding yeah. the absolute crest of a wave. Yeah, and Lafferty got a couple of goals last week as well. I think so. Um, mm-hmm. You know they're all amongst the goals. They all should be feeling sharp in front of the goal. Um, and, and like I said earlier on, these guys are playing football, and that's what you want. You, you want them feeling sharp when the ball drops them inside the box. So, you know, fingers crossed, we maybe get one or two opportunities like that, and you just never know. All right, Dave, uh, before we go, I'd normally ask for a prediction, but I'll do something slightly different this time. Um, how much of my arm, I want a very specific answer to this, how much of my arm would you bite off for a draw? Mm. Up. Two and including the elbow. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Pete, any movement in that? Uh, both of them. Both of them? No, uh, yeah, I, th- I think any points here you'd, you'd love. Okay, good stuff. Well, um, by the end of Thursday night, if we've got a draw, um, I'm probably going to have the second smallest arms in England, um, just behind Jordan Pickford. But thanks very much to Dave Dunning and Peter Baker for coming on. Uh, that has been your Italy preview. Please do follow us on Twitter. I've been really pushing the Twitter recently. It's at Spirit of 2016 Pod. Loads of updates on there from uh, from players then at club level, uh, and it's one of those places where I can give a little bit more opinion rather than the kind of news factual based Facebook. So uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back after Italy uh, on the Thursday night. We'll get that out for you, and uh, we'll have podcasts coming after the USM Belarus and uh, not Belarus Bulgaria as well. Um, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for all the support so far, and hope you enjoy the podcast we're about to do this week. See you later. Bye-bye.